For sponsoring this event, I'd like to thank Canada 2020, in particular Alex Patterson, for inviting us here and putting on this event. Uh, it's very gracious. I'd like to thank you all for coming. This is the Hurley Burley Political Panel, and yes, we're open to a better branding name uh, than that. Uh, but this is the Hurley Burley Political Panel, um, put together just before the uh, federal election campaign. And uh, as uh, Dick Irvin would say, from left to right on your radio dial, is Jenny Byrne. Uh, who, um, you know, first became known to me uh, when she was kicking my ass in the 2006 federal election campaign, and then even greater notoriety, perhaps, in the even thorough, more thorough kicking of the 2018 Ontario <laughs> provincial campaign. So, in the better to join them if you can't beat them uh, thing, I recruited Jenny to this podcast and. <laughs> Uh, to the delight of liberals across the country, she is not the physical personification of Satan. <laughs> I am much nicer than people think. But when people say to me, you know, I thought she'd be Satan, but she's really charming and all that stuff. I say, well, what do you think Satan would be? <laughs> Doesn't have a tail. He wears beautiful blue glasses. Exactly. <laughs> and on your far right on the Dick Irvin radio dial is Scott Reed, the wicked wit of Prince Edward County. Uh, Scott and I have uh, worked on a lot of campaigns together. We worked on some apart from each other, but we've never worked against each other. Thank God. No, we're um, very and uh, in addition to uh, being uh, one of my best friends, he laughs at all of my jokes. So that's why he's uh, that's why Scott's on the panel here today. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. All, all of them. All of my jokes. Yeah. Not, you know not that funny Canada 2020 joke. Thank you very much, Jenny. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I'm David Hurley. I've worked on liberal campaigns my whole life. Um, and thank you. Before we start, there's just actually one person in this room I really want to acknowledge. Hugh Windsor is in the front row, and Hugh hey. came right. out to see us today. Woo! And... Hugh Windsor has been chronicling federal <laughs> politics longer than anybody currently still doing it in Ottawa. Nobody is left in the gallery now that Craig has retired. Nobody's left who remembers the Pierre Trudeau administration in all of its glory the way Hugh does. And uh, actually, if you ever get him up on a stage, he's got stories about parties that went on in those days that are different from the stories about Ottawa now. <laughs> so um, uh, we are... Uh, Broadcasting, we're being streamed for our podcast, and this is being recorded uh, because the Hurley Burley is now on video. So, all of you, I presume, have signed waivers um, to agree to be uh, to be on this. We're going to start as we're going to start as a person must with the conservative leadership situation. Uh, last That's, it's great of you. To it's say that. The last time we got together, uh, Andrew Shear was. Uh, going to be the leader, um, and it was determined that he was going to be the leader no, forever. Forever. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, uh, it's not like you guys haven't been part of uh, leadership politics as, as well. No, but I don't think we have any lessons in ruthlessness to teach you anymore. Uh, <laughs> so. Not to mention we should call out that Corey the Dagger Tanak is over here. 
<laughs> oh, he got all the blood flakes out of his beard. Good to see you, Corey. <laughs> so Andrew Shear changed his mind on uh, very, a uh, very short notice and decided that he would not be uh, attempting to stay on as leader. And uh, something changed his mind in a really quick hurry. And that seems like a natural question to ask Jenny, so I'll ask it of Scott. Um, <laughs> Scott, why do you think why do you think that it, it was it just was it simply the revelation about the schools or did he have a broader sounding that he'd better get out of town? Well, I think he had a broader sounding, obviously, but I do think uh, the schools thing became a trigger. I'm skeptical about the schools thing. I think the whole story stinks like last week's fish, and we can come back to all that. But what, but what, what do you mean? Well, because I. Covering the expenses for his kid's school and all that stuff. Nobody on the fund knew, my God, I'm outraged. I heard the Prime Minister Harper is uh, on the warpath. It just doesn't, to me, the whole thing doesn't It felt more like an excuse than a reason to me. It felt like an excuse more than a reason, and it actually felt to me like it was a shot across the bow that became a shot that took him out. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was an indication of strength by those that opposed him. They were saying on Wednesday, Wednesday evening, saying, hey, Right? We want you to fuck off. Right. Right? So, and, and then I think he realized They, they upon, said it very politely. I don't right. think they said it much more politely than I just did. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, at that point, he then looked behind him and said, all right, well, let's see here on, at Agincourt who's behind me. And he discovered he had no army whatsoever. And I think he realized that uh, the gig goes up. And so I don't think the schools thing is some uh, calamitous scandal. But I think the schools thing within the Conservative Party was an example that the elders were no longer with you, the instruments and institution of the party was no longer with you. And if you didn't get the message that you should go, then you s unbelievably aren't getting the message. I should mention really? that on our way here today, Jenny and I ran into Andrew Shear. <laughs> <laughs> they were going up the escalator and he was going down. He was going down the escalator. We were coming here to talk about him. He was going somewhere else and not talk about himself, obviously. And uh, they And I didn't realize Scott just kept going, Do you see? Do you see? And I'm like, I, I was too busy talking. And I I don't know, like I, I, it's human reflex. Which you see somebody you recognize, magnetism. you smile and go, hi. But Andrew Shear didn't smile and say hi to us. He just, <laughs> he just gave us that kind of like, uh, <laughs> Death Race 2000 look, you know? So, um, when, um, when uh, Paul Martin was uh, going to seek the leadership um, against... Because it was a surprise. It's not like it was like you guys were like planning for it. No, not the second time when it was all, not the second time when <laughs> you could see it coming for a decade. The first time when it came out of the blue, um, when he ran against Cretchen in 1989, we delayed our... I was 12. <laughs> Hugh, Hugh, could you come up here with that bat? Well, I, in any event, I. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. We we delayed the convention for a year. The lead, uh, Mr. Turner resigned the leadership in May of 1989, and the convention was not scheduled for June of uh, uh, 1990. 
Uh, Mr. Kretschow said it was like waiting to hold the Stanley Cup playoffs till the Maple Leafs were ready. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what it was. We were delaying it until we could mount a credible challenge. But the point of the story is that we at that point controlled the national executive of the party and we controlled a lot of the major caucus positions in the party so we could control the direction of how that went out. We could control the timing of the leadership convention. We could control the rules about the leadership convention. Who controls, Jenny, the Conservative Party right now? Who has their hands on those levers of the party right now? Uh, well, the, the, the party apparatus ha has it. So there's been uh, a lot of uh, uh, turmoil uh, internally. Uh, one could say not not since uh, Nigel Wright wrote a ninety thousand dollar check to Mike Duffy has a, an issue been managed so poorly. <laughs> Party. Ow. Zing. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so right now it's it is it is the fund. It's obviously the fund, and so I uh, I. You know, Dustin, uh, Dustin, the executive director, he he is he is left. I actually don't think it's he left. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like, it was like, well, the show's over, so I'm going to retire no, but, to my <laughs> green room now. No. no, but 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 to be fair to Dustin, I actually think that uh, it is it is not possible that uh, the conservative fund of Canada paid for three years of uh, Andrew Shear's kids' public school, and the fund didn't know about it. So, uh, you Is know... Is it so outrageous that they did, by the way? Is this not reasonably typical of the no. sorts of expenses no, that the should, party no, no, would no, pay but, for a leader? No, but if you actually want to be smart about it, if you want to be smart about it, you would then say there was a stipend. I'll give... Uh, Andrew right. Shear, or yeah. I'll give Scott Reed, or I'll give Jenny Byrne fifty thousand dollars extra a year, and if we want to send our kids to private school, we would like that the check would be from Jenny Byrne or Scott Reed or right. what have you, and not from the Conservative Fund of Canada. So if you're going to actually, well, do we do know that? Do we know that the mechanics were that it actually went to like? Well, it doesn't uh, seem it. Crazy like, homeschooling, uh, private school, Inc. Like, is that how it went? <laughs> Sorry. No, but <laughs> not it, to be dismissive. <laughs> But it doesn't seem that that was the case. I don't know. But if, if that was the case, we probably would be having a different conversation. All right. So the fund, who's going to control the decisions I was talking about? Like the big decision for candidates and yep. for the party is long race versus short race. Right? That has huge that'll be the party's. That'll be the party's national council. So I think and who it, controls that body? Uh, well, the membership. And so I think that uh, in the last leadership race, there was a different uh, there was a different feeling. And so our members, somewhat like the people that hate uh, Donald Trump, like you guys, yeah, like yeah, you're, yeah, you're, that's me. You're fucking yeah. rational uh, about I'm, it. I'm in that. No, um, I'm not. It's fucking rational. No, no but you're you are you are absolutely irrational about it. Which they is rational. No, but it's it's actually not. When he wins and you pay me the thousand dollars that you will owe me, yeah, exactly. Doesn't matter. Everyone, then you'll blow your is he plan. gonna pay? Have to pay me? Everyone, is he gonna have to pay me a thousand dollars? Pay you a thousand dollars, and then I'm gonna burn Earth. So that's fine. <laughs> Um, uh, so I think our members 
uh, looked at the leadership race and they looked at even the candidates like Max and Bernier, who were libertarian and, and what have you, and thought it didn't matter who won, whoever won is going to beat Justin Trudeau. And I think that for this leadership race, it is not going to be the case. It's it's going to be a uh, who can actually who will actually win, who can actually uh, not just win the leadership, but who can actually be Justin Trudeau. And that is going to be a different dynamic that our race didn't have the last time. Well, and it seems more likely that the next leader will be Justin Trudeau. Possibly. Just on the basis of timing. Possibly. Like if the next person's good. It's more than likely they'll be the prime minister it's at some point. It's possible. So that's presumably going to attract different kinds of people into possible. this race. Yep. Okay. Yep. Who? Oh, who? see, now you're being a, you're being an asshole. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm. Who are the? Who? What's the field going to look like? Like, because I don't actually hear anybody calling for a short, uh, long race. Like, I, I, I don't really hear for anybody. I, well, a short, that a all short, the people. There's some voices on social media calling a short, for a short race benefits the people like the front runners, the Ron Ambrose's and the Peter McKay's. And will David they both McLaughlin run? arguing for a long race when he's talking about the party needs to reinvent Sorry, itself? Sorry, who's, who's David McLaughlin? He's a conservative from Manitoba. Ow! Woo! Um, Nasty! Okay, and, and I thought that sort of it was implicit in maybe some of Dennis Matthews' commentary that maybe a longer race would help the party sort of... I know Dennis I, Matthews I didn't read that well. from Dennis, to be honest. Um, well, I actually don't believe that myself, because having been through long races, including the 1989-91, it didn't change the outcome any from beginning to end, and it just made a race that's inherently more divisive, even more divisive than it... Uh, Right. than it needs to be. So I think long leadership races are not particularly smart things. So it's a short but if race, you're losing, runs. it's a good thing. It's a short race. Who who runs? Well, I think we have the the people that are talking... Whether it's a short or long race, the people that we're talking about running, uh, uh, you've got uh, Peter McKay, you've got Aaron O'Toole, you've got Ron Ambrose, you've got Pierre Polyev, you've got Gerard Deltel, uh, one of our Quebec MPs. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Really? It's a short race. Um, yeah, forget it. My question was going to be stupid. I was about to say, doesn't a short race favor the people that are already known who are in caucus? But yes, two of, of them are. But two of them aren't in caucus. So. Who who isn't in caucus? McKay and uh, and Ron. Yeah, but for the for all imp all intensive purposes, they're in caucus. Does the David? Okay, uh, except for like having a seat in Parliament and all that shit. But um, so let me ask you another question that David didn't ask you. Um, does for McKay? Does the David? I mean, everyone's forgotten the David Orchard thing. Does within the party? Does the David Orchard thing hang over him? Because it's like Jesus no. Christ, he signed that thing with David oh Orchard. Oh my God! Of course it doesn't. It doesn't. No. Like people say that's just a shit he had to do that day in order to get through like you know the okay, next two hours like, and get to the cooler of beer or something like. That was fifteen years ago. All right. Hmm. All right. How did he lose Belinda Stronach to Paul Martin though? That's the real question. <laughs> well, I don't know. You guys know. Obviously, Paul Martin. How did that happen? What did Paul? You know. Paul must have things. You know the story. Read what happened. How did she? How did he? How did how did Peter McKay end up? Uh, in, how did Peter McKay end up in the crowd here? How did he end up? People <laughs> who end up in a farm with a Rolex and a truth. dog. Um, a real Rolex and a fake dog. 
Well, uh, no. To be fair, <laughs> and to be fair, I think, I, I think the boots were fake too. I think I, they were not his boots. I, 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 I believe the feelings were true. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a sentimentalist. I'm a bit of a Hallmark fan until the last three, four days. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I actually think that the Belinda Stronach story is something that people forget these days in politics, and it's one of the moments of, I mean, I don't know, Hugh and Susan and people who've been around, like, uh, it's one of the high moments of drama in the last 30, 40, 50 years of Canadian. Really? Well, that Jesus seems Murphy. Ridic- that's well, ridiculous. Okay, so, we're in a minority it party. It was. Oh, no, it's, the, like, if you think that's a Hallmark story? I thought it was a dramatic story. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Stephen Harper gets elected in the end, so it's not a Hallmark story. It doesn't end with love and happiness. It's a tragedy, maybe a comedy, but, you know, it's miserable that it's a history. So, um, But, you know, uh, my whole introduction to the topic uh, that Belinda might cross, I mean, we're living in a world where we knew there was going to be a confidence vote, and... uh, all the eyes were on Chuck Cadman, right, who uh, had cancer and was very ill. And the question was, uh, as a conservative backbencher, where would Chuck Cadman land on the confidence vote? And he was being wooed. And there may have been some insurance policy stories about it. We all, history forgets. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, fine, you know. But in any event, there's a lot of drama about Chuck Cadman. No one was talking about what Belinda Stronach. So one day I'm in. Uh, the office, and, you know, uh, the end is nigh, right? Like, the vote is coming. And um, Tim Murphy, who's the chief of staff to uh, Prime Minister Martin at the time, and he walks into my office, and he says, um, be ready around 10 a.m. <laughs> ready for what, Tim? <laughs> Are we going snowmobiling? Is it, like... And he says, no, be ready around 10 o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call you, I hope. Okay, that sounds strange. And sure, shit, at 10 o'clock, my phone rings, and it's Tim, and he says, come across the street to the Chatelorier, come to the fifth floor. Right? I said, why? He said, because Belinda Stronach is going to cross the floor, join the cabinet, and vote to keep our government preserved. <laughs> Get fuck out of here. (laughs) He's like, no, I'm not kidding, right? So I like go, hey, everybody, I've got to go across the street. I'm not going to tell you why, because you call me a moron, but I'm doing it. And I go across the street, and I go up to the fifth floor, and I knock on the door, they tell me, and there's David Peterson, former premier of Ontario. He opens the door, and he looks at me, he's got a big smile on his face, and he says, I bet you're happy to see me. I was like, I'm going to kiss you on the throat like a lover. I'm so happy to see you. No, you it, was good. It, it was good. It was good. It 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 was really good for you guys for the lot for six months. Well, you know, I mean, actually, it's an interesting debate because eventually, of course, what happens is that you know it turns out that Belinda's there and she goes through. And by the way, she went through 24 hours. People forget about this. Again, we always try to. Uh, put this up in perspective, that's a political event. So eventually the way the story unfolds, of course, uh, I, I'll, it'll take seven hours if I tell it in full, but if fundamentally what happens... I might, I might actually come... I might 
jump in here. You might jump in in seven hours? So she crossed the floor. We win the vote. We shock the press gallery by having her cross the floor. It wasn't that big of a shock. It was pretty big. It was not that big of a shock. It was a big shock. Hey, Susan, you're nodding. Hugh, you're nodding. It was a big shock. The door opened. She stepped out, and people went, oh! Right? Like, it was like, oh, my gosh. It was a big shock. But... And then, you know, we got a tie vote in parliament. The speaker has to vote to sustain the parliament. We win. We drink. We dance on speakers. Later. And then six months later, we didn't win the election. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> we had that pearly moment of awesomeness. But... Um, I think she danced the on the speakers like six months. Uh, she actually, we had so thoroughly won the run-up to that vote. Well, that's what I was going to say. That, that, had, that had Belinda not crossed and had we been defeated, we would have been in better shape to contest the election that spring than we were in the fall. And you told the Prime Minister that at 24 Sussex, and I was there, and there was a night where you said um, it would be better for us to lose this confidence vote than to continue to press it. Um, we had uh, talked about that, and you said... Um, we had designed a, a program three months ago to sustain our government. It has succeeded. We may have succeeded too well. We would be better to be defeated now. The consequence of de being defeated now, uh, uh, being defeated now, is that we will win the general election, but we could be wiped out in Quebec. And Paul said, "I don't want to get wiped out in Quebec. The Liberal Party of Canada should not get wiped out in Quebec. I am anxious about the national unity implications of that." And so he rejected that notion out of hand. Um, if that's what it came with, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. So Belinda crossed. We won the vote. But here's the thing I want to say. Like, people, just a little personal thing. Belinda was sick to her stomach that morning. That morning, Tim Murphy and I sat waiting for her to show up in the Chateau Laurier the morning after she'd come over. And... We were there for 35, 45, 55 minutes waiting for her, and she finally came in, and she was ashen. And I think that she'd been through a night of hell, talking to her dad, talking to Peter, who knows what psychodrama they went through in their personal life, <laughs> right? And I'm not saying that to be facetious or, or joking. Like, I mean, I think, I think it was a, like, I think it stripped the paint off of her. I think no, it, was it was a tough, a brutal, savage night. And people forget that and they go, oh, well, she crossed the floor. And she just wanted to be in cabinet and all that shit. You know what? She took on, like, she had fucking bruises because of that night. Okay. <coughs> sympathetic figure. I feel, right. I, 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 I certainly felt sympathetic. I felt that she really endured a storm. Yes, no, I, I can see it. Belinda Stronach is a very sympathetic uh, uh, <laughs> Here we go. person in, in Canadian politics. <laughs> yeah. All right. You're so full of cynicism. Let's circle, back, let's, circle, let's circle widely back to the topic at hand, which is the conservative leadership. Thank you, right? David. I appreciate that. And to say that I've seen a few leadership conventions, both of your party and of our party, I don't count the NDP. I watch theirs too, but I don't understand them. Um, so, uh, but ours I generally understand very well. <coughs> and I've never seen uh, anybody elected leader of either of our parties who was not considered on voting day to be the person most likely to win the 
subsequent election for the party. So winnability is, in my view, the key That's factor, fair. but not the only factor. But it should on. be. But it should be the only factor. It, well, it should be. I, I actually put out a tweet today about a quote from the Guardian, which I thought was awesome about the only purpose of a political party is to win elections. One hundred percent. So political. Political. So what are, what's going on in the Conservative Party? So political. Right so political parties uh, uh, in our parliamentary democracy, we uh, elect leaders who. Uh, espouse policies to then run an election and win. Um, and so that is kind of, that is where we're at. And uh, part of the reason that that I had an issue with Andrew's leadership, uh, and I say this as knowing Andrew for 20-some years, uh, was that I didn't think he could win the next election, and most conservatives I know don't think he can win the next. Didn't think he could win the next election. Right. So, um, that is what the question that conservatives are going to have in this leadership race uh, coming up. But there are other issues. There are other considerations always in parties. Always. Right? I think, for instance, when Mr. Dion won the leadership of the Liberal Party, <coughs> big reason he won it was because he was the only person with any history in the party um, that was sort of left on the final Possibly, ballot. Possibly, yeah. Right, and that's the, the, those kinds of those kinds of factors. Sometimes you see parties that are desperate for generational change. I guess I'm wondering if there are there any other undercurrents in the party other than just how do we win? I think winability is going to be a big uh, question that uh, conservatives are going to look at uh, in the. Uh, leadership race that we're we're having now, and so you have candidates that are are uh, um, that are out and about, and they're talking uh, to people. But I think it's going to be who can win, who is not only a conservative, but who can win the next election, and that's going to be a question. So that's a really interesting. Yes, that's a really interesting two point you put there, because presumably over the course of this process, you're going to be deciding what it means to be a conservative, as well. Yeah. Right, and people have been pushing the party for some evolved or yep. reconsidered definition of that. Well, no, but but, but what you're going to say is like the things like so kind of issues. So for me, uh, I don't think things like gay marriage are even a so kind of issue anymore. I just think the average person uh, supports same-sex marriage. I think that it is a very uh, I think that Andrew Scheer, in his opposition to gay marriage, uh, falls into the less than 10% of people that, 10% uh, of Canadians that support uh, gay marriage. Mm. So I don't think it's a gay, I, I don't think it's a SoCon issue. And uh, so I think that that's what we're looking at as a, as a party. So, Sarah, can you, can you help depersonalize this? Because I, I, I appreciate it. We are spending a lot more time on, like, the conservative leadership issue than I thought we were going to. Really? I'm just saying. All right. Um, it's so interesting. Um, I just, I, Scott, maybe you can help depersonalize this a, a little bit in that. That's kind of my thing. <laughs> very, I'm very objective. And yes. Um, in that, um, so... Um, what you and I might look at, say, the conservative leadership per perspective contenders. I'll speak for myself. I look at them and I say, well, why wouldn't Bernard Lord be the obvious guy? Right. They're not centrist enough on 
social policy issues he seems to be. They can't win in Quebec. He's a fluently bilingual uh, person. Uh, born in Quebec. Um, so I look at all these attributes of Bernard Lord and I say, well, why isn't he the obvious choice? But that's probably because I'm a liberal, and that's where I'm trying to get to, is what other things... But, but when was the last time Bernard Lord did any, anything in politics? It was 20 years ago. Right. Because you can't get re-elected Premier of New Brunswick. That's a one-term and out gig. No, I, no I'm not saying... You got elected twice. No, well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Maybe Bernard not. Lord hasn't been involved in conservative politics or any form of politics in the last 20 years. Right. So he's absented himself from the party. Completely. No, I'm not even saying that. But it's but, like... No, it, but you are proving David's point. You're putting another consideration on the table. Right? I mean, if winnability is the only factor... To me, I think the head-scratcher is if winnability is the only factor... Um, then what distinguishes the Conservative Party from the Liberal Party? Because, I mean, fundamentally, if winnability is the only factor, then... I didn't say it was the only factor. I said it was a big factor. Okay. What are the other factors? Well, the other factors are people want to elect a Conservative. Okay. But what is it to be Conservative in a world where the most dominant and principal condition is that you must be able to win? And I think if we take a look at the critique of what's happened with Scheer, it means you can't be socially Conservative. No. You must be appealing in... Uh, urban Canada. And at some point you say, well, what's the difference between the Conservative and Liberal Party then? Okay, but... but and what would be... Social, like, and, and by the way, this is, this is an old debate, right? I mean, like, people used to say, you know, Brian Mulroney could be a Liberal as easily as he could have been a Conservative, you know? Yes, people would definitely say that. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, uh, in terms of being a social Conservative, uh, uh, Andrew Scheer's position, and, and it might be a little bit more socially conservative, but the vast majority of conservatives, there's no difference than Paul Martin's position. Paul Martin was pro-life when he... Yeah, but Paul Martin's, Paul Martin's 2003 position I don't think would work today. No, it would not. Because Paul Martin... Because it was a tolerance position, okay, but there was not a difference. Okay, but can I say... It was not an acceptance. Okay, but there is a difference between gay marriage and abortion. They're, they're, those are two different You've things. made this argument before. I'm not 1,000% I'm with you on it. Okay. I, 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 I think within the conservative party, there is a greater acceptance of same-sex marriage than there is um, <coughs> abortion. I, I, that's the only conclusion I can come to, um, because I feel that conservatives I know have defined those issues distinctly, right, and said that, that, that uh, being against same-sex marriage is somehow disqualifying, whereas you can be pro-life still. And, and, and but the current prime minister is pro-life. Justin Trudeau's pro-life. Well, he won't tolerate people who are not. No, but he still he says he's pro. Well, when he's asked, he says he's pro-life. Okay, so there are. What's a conservative? Is my point. Well, the, the, oh my goodness. What is a conservative? Though seriously, if it's these things are constantly being defined all the time by leadership races, mm -hmm. and whoever wins the conservative leadership race will define that. But I would argue it's a much more difficult task than it is with the Liberal Party. Uh, because we're unencumbered by this of design. Winability and uh, acceptability uh, ideologically, it's not, it's not, an, easy, it's not an easy task. Mm -hmm. um, Harper constructed a conservative party that was appealing to about 40% of the electorate. And when they got all of those 40 and the other splits, and the other splits were good, they could win a majority government on that. Yes. Right? Um, when 
I hear people talking now about we need to grow that just a little bit. We need to turn that 45% potential pool into that 40% into 45 or, or maybe 50. But there is, unlike in the Liberal Party, we have some, we have some beliefs that you have to sign on to. Um, but, you know, we can elect left-wing liberals as leaders and perceived right-wing liberals as leaders. <coughs> it's not definitional to us in the same way. And I think it's a real question for whoever leads your party mm -hmm. how you can do what is being asked of you by central Canadians and not recreate the Reform Party. Well, I don't the think there's any. Time. I don't think there's anything wrong with the Reform Party. That's how I got involved in politics. No, but saying like this, by splitting the party, I'm saying it's not obvious to me how you can drag this party where it needs to be on climate in central Canada, drag this party where it needs to be on social issues in central Canada, and not really alienate the Western base. But I think I think we we already did that. Stephen Harper was prime minister for ten years. But hasn't that been undone? Well, I, I, like well, I'm wondering, Andrew, hasn't listen, it been undone? No, no, no. But the fact of the matter is, is Andrew Scheer is not Stephen Harper and never could be Stephen Harper. Right. And so that is anyone within our party that tries to say that it, it like it, it, it is not uh, the case. So, yes, uh, I think that it can be done. Stephen Harper was prime minister four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and he, I'm just, I'm. You're right. He's a guy. He's a guy with great political skills. Yes. And he built that coalition. What he did is one of the most remarkable things. Assange got in fact, together. 100%. In fact, if I wasn't talking about him, I'd be talking about Kenny. I mean, these two are people, basically built I political parties. I hundred percent. I have a ton of admiration for their ability to do that. Right. The question is whether whether the Stephen Harper version of the party can be relied on to be consistent, consistently competitive to win. And if it can't, what changes can be accommodated within that? Well, the, be the best part of the, the, the... So Stephen Harper's coalition, what was great about the prime minister was uh, not only did we have a vast coalition, but he also changed. It, like, it was an ev evolution. And so anyone that's looking to lead any party, be it liberal, conservative, what have you, is they're con continuing to, like, change. So... Would would Stephen Harper be, uh, if he was leader right now, would he be the same Stephen Harper he was 10 years ago? No, of course he wouldn't, because everybody evolves. Okay. It, it, it's life. I, all, I, I totally agree with that. I think, I think one of the interesting what-ifs of the last couple of months is that what if, uh, what if Andrew Shearer had said in response to the question about marching in a same-sex parade, he'd said, yeah, I'm cool. I'm going to be in the next pride parade I can find. Right? Would that have changed the dynamic around his leadership? But I, I, but I, I come back think, to it. If I you can't be socially conservative, if you can't be a fiscal conservative, which you can't be, right? I mean, today we had a fiscal update, and it's like what? It's like $11 billion in deficit until fucking ever, no right? Yeah, so, you guys should be so very there, proud of yourselves being no, liberals. Okay, but you can say that, but no candidate is you going to seriously champion. Then you will be. <laughs> <laughs> No candidate for the conservative leadership is going to seriously champion fiscal conservative policy. So it's not electable. So if you got to appeal to urban Canada, you have to have a position that's more aggressive on climate. You can't be a social conservative and you can't be a fiscal conservative. What the fuck is a conservative? What's left? Why is that not a liberal? Well, I'll give you the answer. I'll give you the answer and give her a chance to sort oh of take goodness. a breath from your 
rant there, but I... I'm just... It's not a rant. It's, yeah. it's, it's this a methodical, thoughtful dissertation. With, I think the problem with the Conservative Party is not that they're conservatives, because I think there's a big market in Canada for conservative solutions to problems. I think the problem with the Conservative Party is that they've stopped talking about the problems that people want them to talk about. There are conservative approaches to the environment and climate change, right? And But you have to start from position of acknowledging that climate change is a problem. You have to start from acknowledging that income inequality is a problem or that housing is a problem. All these things. And I think that people are open to conservative solutions as much as they are open to liberal solutions on those things in many cases. But I think the problem with the Conservative Party in recent years is it stopped even addressing some things that people were really concerned about. Hmm. Yeah, that's just wrong. Really? Go ahead. <laughs> No, it's 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 wrong. Listen, there there, there could be issues that uh, we don't communicate as well. But uh, at the end of the day, people uh, conservatives are still uh, <laughs> there is a reason that Doug Ford beat Kathleen Wynne. Yeah, I can think of a number of them. Me is probably top of the list. Um, but the wait a second, Stephen Harper always had a climate change policy. Yeah, he did. Right? So Some of us may not have believed he was sincere about it. 100%. He always had a climate but, change policy. But so did Andrew Scheer. Not the same. Not the same. He no. didn't communicate it. No, he no, communicated that he really didn't buy it. Yeah. He communicated that he wasn't interested in the issue. And Harper was always smart enough not to communicate that. Well, because Harper, Harper is... Har Stephen Harper is brilliant, regardless of whether you like him or not. Stephen right. Harper is a brilliant uh, person. Okay, well speaking of brilliant, let's start talking about the liberals. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to do that. <laughs> so the last time that we talked, the three of us, uh, was the day of the speech from the throne. Yep. That was a and great day. we all got together. Oh my God. We were excited wow. to tell that was an event. Oh my God, I'll never forget that. Anyway, the uh, speech from the throne, and we didn't understand much of it because the mandate letters weren't out. So we spend a lot of time puzzling about what Christia Freeland's job might be. Now that you've seen it, Jenny. Man, this is she going is from like, bad to worse. Now we're talking mandate letters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I so, hate, There'll be a test at the end. I yeah. hate talking mandate letters, but oh my God, she's like the leader of fucking everything. So good, right? So this is what we talked about. We debated what whether, okay, so is she going to be like the most powerful person in the world or is it going to be like a fake job, which is what? It's not a fake job, obviously. No, but what she's the lactus devourer of ministries. No, but ah. what Deputy <laughs> PM can do? She literally is the like person in charge of fucking everything. Absolutely. Is he, so good, good for her, but holy fuck. But there's obviously a strategic... Do you think it will work? Wait a second. Just, uh, honestly, no, of course, no of course it won't work. Why not? Because no one can be in charge of everything. It will not work. Because also, at the end of the day, the prime minister is still the prime minister. So right. he thinks it's great that she's in charge of X, Y, and Z now until the day he decides, I don't think that's actually a good idea. And I think that eventually he like that will happen. And, and you know, right. that's what I think. Right. 
Does Bill know? Bill Morneau report to Christia Freeland or? Of Justin course Trudeau? he does. See, I can. I actually. <laughs> I can actually say this more so than you guys can. He absolutely uh, reports to uh, Christopher. Christopher Freeland is essentially the uh, the uh, prime minister. Well, she's okay. Who here doesn't agree? Come on, <laughs> one hand, one agree. fucking hand. I completely Two. don't agree. She's massively powerful in a cabinet power a cabinet system, but. Uh, the prime minister is still the prime minister, and the prime minister can say uh, no anytime he wants. I think there's a strategic decision to. But he can't say no to her very much or early without gutting her completely. That's that, that's true. Otherwise, so, she'll just she'll just keep her big political. But it presumes. Office. But the right. implication. Of the, <laughs> no, no, you're mistaking it with Judy Wilson Raybald. <laughs> <laughs> the implication of the conversation is that they won't show up talking to each other. <laughs> They're going to be having... It's not like she's going to show up and she says, listen, I've uh, decided that I want to nationalize all... Come on, wait a second. You were part of a government that was known for being unwieldy, sprawling decision-making, unfocused, True. right? We huh? used to we used this to. I used to. We used to. This we used to say that about you. you were involved. I had nothing to do with it. I was cut out of that whole thing. But the. Uh, it's on me. What I'm told about that government is that it was those things, and <laughs> now you have. Uh, well, that was Tim, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, this is a pretty bizarre mandate, isn't it? I don't think so. I mean, I think it depends on how it operates. I mean, I I, I think you can make. It, it might be. Okay, so let me put it that. Let, let, let's, let, let's, let's concede to reality and say it might be. But, and for sure, it's going to cause tension with cabinet uh, colleagues. That's for sure going to happen. Because it's like, hi, I don't actually have any ministerial tools. I'm just going to go and raid your department, raid your department, raid your department when I need to move something. And my mandate letter says I can't. If you need to know about it. My mandate letter says I can't. No, my, right. my mandate letter says I'm in charge of fucking everything. Right. <laughs> so I can, right? But... Um, that's going to happen. The, the, the idea that it's going to create some kind of a collision is based on the premise that she and the prime minister are not on the same page and are not talking constantly. It may be a very... We could make a compelling political argument that this is a smart decision for a government that plastered Justin Trudeau everywhere, all the time, 24-7, for four years. And now they're saying, let's take the guy back a little bit. Let's, like, other people dig the ditch. Other people be on the evening news, and then he will move in, and he will manage the thing at the last mile. So, th th I mean, there's a logic there. I think it's a workaround. I think it's a workaround. They should have made her the Minister of Finance and said, go do this. Well, I said that too, but, I right. mean, but I'm just saying, if you're going to go this way, I don't think that you automatically conclude that it's a disaster. Well, and being the Minister of Finance is the best route to taking out a sitting Prime Minister and then becoming Prime Minister yourself. Well, you know, until Scotty and I got involved in politics, people thought the reverse of that. People used to say finance was a graveyard. Nobody ever comes out of finance to be Prime Minister. That's what they used to say before Scotty and I got involved. Oh, yeah, and look at us. What a, what a trail we blazed. <laughs> So, um, uh, this um, government has been extremely quiet since mm. the election. <sighs> and you um, thought it was wise of them, and we all agreed. Early. Early yeah, to yeah. take the time yeah. to think things through. And then we got uh, 
then we got a swearing in that didn't include mandate letters. Yep. And then we waited for the mandate letters, and they're confusing. And we still hear that there is quite an issue in this town with staff not being hired and the general disorganization of the government. What's going on here, Jenny? Who knows? Like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've heard that that staff isn't being hired and what have you. Does it really matter? Yeah. Do people really care? Same as it ever was. Really? Same as it ever so was. How, so would so you, we can would you all say yourself six weeks after an election still hiring ministerial staff? Well, no, because we ended up doing it, but at the end of the day, it d- did it even matter? Like, right. at the end of the day, yes, it, it, it matters for a functioning government, but in terms of what we're talking about, in terms of a, a overall, like, a mandate, it doesn't matter. And it's not like me sticking up for the liberals. It's just, it's like, doesn't matter. Yeah. The context I've heard is, is morale. People say the morale among liberals in the town is really bad. Scott? I don't know. For Christ's sake, don't people always sit around at three thirty in the afternoon and drink beer and go, oh, you know, I already, people are pissed off. You know, <laughs> really, people are pissed off. That's different, right? That's the way. Like, Hugh, were people pissed off in 1974 in Ottawa? I think they were pissed <laughs> off in 1974 in Ottawa. Three thirty. No, ex- ex- exactly I mean, seriously. Like, like, I mean, I don't mean to give everybody talk a pass. You're saying no, it's unimportant. People, I'm, I'm not saying I, it's unimportant, I'm but I'm not. Say, I'm saying it's not atypical. Agreed, like, it's like it's, this is the kind of bitching. So, like. You will hear in Toronto people are unhappy with Doug Ford. Uh, uh, staff well, that's you different. You do hear that from time to time. Okay, but Doug. Okay, but Doug won seventy-six seats uh, uh, in Ontario. Like you can like be unhappy all you want, but he won a massive majority. Right. I was just raising the question more broadly about whether the government had its shit together or not. Yeah. I, listen, I think whether the governor has, has a shit together doesn't matter in terms of, like, political staffers. And I say this as a former political staffer. Why isn't it oh. better that there's a more quiet management of the government for a small period of time? I don't know if it's generated by strategy or fatigue or fuck what nothing. I don't know. But why doesn't that make sense? Like, it felt like everything was so overmanaged for, like, a long time. So, like, just take a breath, man, you know? Like, we had an election. It was a big drama. We're over it. Andrew Shearer is filling the news headlines every single day, right, chewing on a ball of tin foil. So let it happen. Don't get it in the news. Don't get it in the way. And let it roll. Okay. I don't know. If they're charging out of the, out, out of the gate on their second mandate with a real fucking fire in their belly about shit they want to do, I don't see it. Huh. No, but do you need to? Right. Do you need to? I don't think about pick I your actually, spots. I'd actually there are more problems. There are more problems than promises right now. So I think I would be a little more careful stepping. Yeah. Jenny, what's the most important lesson that you learned from running a minority government that you would pass on to these people? Uh, so it's it's being self aware. So uh, uh, it, it, it all matters. Uh, in terms of realizing what your limitations are, what you're uh, leading into uh, an election, or like leading into uh, a campaign. So um, I would say self-awareness is the big thing that everyone should look at because it matters if we're going to fall, if we're going to survive, if what have you. Self-awareness. Yeah. You know the, the great story 
about the fall of the Clark government is that only one person in his office, a relatively junior staffer named Nancy Jameson, actually knew that they were going to fall. The rest of them had not even bothered to really understand Parliament that well, that they didn't know what was at stake when yeah. they were deciding about the budget. She said, you know, we don't have the votes in the House, and they all kind of uh, ignored her. And uh, there goes Joe Clark for that, right? Yeah. Scott, what lesson would do you take from running a minority? Do you pass on? Well, self-awareness is my strength, actually. So um, I'm highly conscious of how much people <laughs> like me. Um, uh, my uh, speed, speed is my number one uh, lesson. That, that was after uh, 10, 12 years, what it had been, uh, working in majority government under Cotin. Uh, the biggest thing that I noticed and the biggest thing it took us to adjust to is that the pace changed. The speed, the speed at which uh, decisions are thrust upon you and the fact that that dot on the horizon might be a cloud or it might be a bullet, right? And if it's a cloud, it rains, and if it's a bullet, you die. And so you have to react sp fast and early. And so I think speed, speed is the number one lesson. Yeah. Jenny, Ken Dryden was on the show last week. I love I love Ken Dryden. Who doesn't? Well, hey. I, I I love him as a Habs goalie, not as a Liberal cabinet minister. Not as someone who tried to give everybody. Well, I think uh, even he would find childcare better um, <laughs> as a Habs goalie. The, ga the game. The, so so the ga the game the the game the the his book I I read every year. Well, it's, but all, but he said about. Minority, par minority governments, he said, it's extremely difficult because the whole process is so political, so inherently always political, <laughs> mm -hmm. that it's very difficult to convince people that you're acting out of purpose. Yeah. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, I think so. A little bit. Right? Do you have to do extra things to try to demonstrate that you're not just trying to hang on to power, but you're actually there to no, but, do something? No, but... That's a very ideological way of saying it. It, it. At the end of the day, you are just trying to hold on to power. Yeah, but there are occasions. Sorry, and there are occasions where that's not the case. And there, are, well, I mean, like, you're still trying to hang on to power. But like there are occasions. You're never well, not I, trying to hang on to power. You're, you're never not trying to hang on. To, well, I think about the fact that in uh, 2008, Stephen Harper was presented with a crisis that forced him to do everything that was against everything he had ever said he stood for. And I think that people did believe that he was guided by a sense of purpose when he said, we have to do this deal with the car companies. I think we do have, no, uh, people no. were convinced that he had a no, sense of purpose. Had, and he we said, we have no. to inflate our budget to a squillion because we have to manage this crisis. We, so I, I think the people had, actually said, this guy is actually acting out of instinct and purpose. Yeah, but we had no cho like choice. Every everyone in the 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 world was d like uh, uh, making those deals, like G George Bush, what have you. But no one said he was doing it. I mean, it's not an inconceivable notion that he might have said, you know what, I refuse to do this. This is crazy. Like I've spent 30 years in politics, and I refuse to nationalize, effectively nationalize the auto industry. I'm not going to do it. It's not what I believe in. And he, and he demonstrated a flexibility. You spoke about growth earlier. He demonstrated a flexibility where people had no choice but to assume that he was acting out of a sense of purpose. Don't you think? I would argue that, I would argue that you were better at that or more conscientious about that than you're betraying to our group here. Because one of the reasons why your minorities were so strong is because nobody ever thought they could beat you. 
And if nobody ever thought they could beat you, it wasn't because you were doing clever political things, but it was because you were commanding the public agenda and you were, um, you, you were driving the public debate in a way that had most people agreeing with you on things. I mean, I watched the conversations I had with Liberal caucus members from 2006 to 2008 and how horrified they were that they had to just line up and vote with you all the time or not vote against you because they couldn't bear an election, but they were appalled at what was going on. That was the most moral dissonance I've ever seen among, uh, among liberal MPs, but that was because you looked like you would win, and you didn't look like you would win because you were playing politics. You looked like you would win because you're... Well, we were going to win. Yeah. But you're running. Wasn't playing politics. We were going to win. Right. Right. Okay. So we are going to end before we go to questions from the crowd. We're going to end with a series of short <coughs> snapper questions I have for my panelist colleagues, and I will ask them to be. I hope it's about the Habs. Very specific questions like purpose and politics, and yeah, very, very okay. those kind of things that don't allow you to linger and wander at all. I'm going to start with you, Scott. Who's the yeah. politician of the year in Canada? Uh, Justin Trudeau. I mean, if he can survive blackface and get reelected with a sizable majority, how, how like, I mean, he's, uh, he's dunking. Right. Dunking on everyone else, for sure. Okay. Agreed. Agreed? Yep. Okay. It's a very good answer, uh, but I'm still going to say Kenny. Kenny. Yeah. I'm still going to say Kenny because Kenny, what, I, what he did in Alberta to put that party together and to reconfigure the political uh, lineup there is an enormous organizational yeah. achievement, having been involved in on-the-ground organization. I know what was involved in that and how difficult that was. And through doing that, because he did that, he's emerged as the strongest counterforce in English Canada to the Trudeau government. Agreed. So that's, you're both wrong. That's my answer. Um, <laughs> Ford government, the Ford government's virage, is it real or is it a mirage? <laughs> you. Oh. This new Ford government, is this for real or is uh, are we going to end up? Of course it's for real. He won 76 seats in uh, in Ontario. No, I mean the new government since he's the new the new nice Doug Ford. The new they Doug is they took the retreating year, Doug Ford. It's a scared, shitless Doug Ford. They took half a year off to give sheer space for the election. Doug, Doug. And now they the, come back and they're all The nice. Doug Ford you see has been the Doug Ford it, that, it, like, it, forever. He is. <laughs> <laughs> the Kool-Aid man smashing through the wall. Hey, I'm here with some cigs. Who's with me? Right? Um. That's Doug Ford. <laughs> Jenny, Doug Ford, is this government, what is the real Doug Ford government, the first year or the second year? Uh, it's a bit of both. Okay. Okay. So he's had some personnel changes, yep. maybe, but is he capable of change? No, but he doesn't need to change. He w he won a massive majority government. He is a very conservative, smart guy, and he's it is what you see is what you get. Okay. What do you think? Are they going to hold this thing up? Uh, I think that his government has executed a series of retreats that have been very smart, very strategic. Um, they've put him in the closet, not in the window, and that's been smart and strategic. But ultimately, 
as far as I can tell, it hasn't moved the numbers. And they picked education to fight on, inexplicably. In contradiction to this fundamental strategy, they've decided to fight on education, which I think cuts families pretty close. And so ultimately, I think the Ford brand is the Ford brand, and I think the Ford brand is deeply underwater. They're not going to win with them again. So are we getting questions from the audience? In a minute. In a minute. Oh! There. In a minute. Start with you. Yeah. Who wins the presidency of the United States in 2020? Uh, I, I will actually go. I will say, I'll go first. Donald Trump is going to win the presidency of the... Because uh, these guys have, like, they cannot... Like, you have no objectivity. No, our heads will explode if that happens. I, I will burst into flame if that happens. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Somebody other than Donald Trump. I'll take anything. I'll take... I'll, uh, honest to God, I would... Uh, I'll take... Um, any of the Donald Trump is but I'm win. so terrified that Donald Trump's put Biden yeah because he's gonna go and, and he's no good hair and stuff. so Biden is crazy can't be Biden. Biden's crazy so he so can't have Biden so, so then Warren's the strongest alternative and I'm not sure Warren's electable and then Jesus Christ I agree <laughs> with Jenny God help me <laughs> I'm more optimistic than you. I say Elizabeth Warren wins the presidency. And well, that would be ready. something. That would be a crackerjack right. of the day. I think that she's going through a trough right now, but it's going to come back around to her and she'll beat Trump. I actually think anybody would beat Trump. Um, sure. you Biden yeah. talking about children being on his leg and stuff? Oh, no, no, uh, maybe, no, maybe, maybe, maybe not him. Donald Trump's going to win the next election. Really? Yeah, I don't have a thousand dollars, or I would bet you a thousand dollars. But I don't. I don't have a business gets better. In no, but you. You business gets better. In I know, but I'm lying. I didn't mean oh, it. Oh, so you're not gonna get. <laughs> I'm hoping you'll take like a Danish or something instead. Who's the Canadian politician to watch in 2020? You. Oh, you. You. Who's the Canadian politician to watch in 2020? Uh, Pierre Polyev. Because. Oh, hmm. Let's see. Because Is that a little cue. Uh, because I think he, uh, uh, I think he is a, uh, I think he is probably going to win the leadership race for the. Uh... Wowzies. Okay, Scott. I don't know if I even have a response to that. That's uh, gobsmacking. Um. Uh, I guess Christia Freeland. How can it not be Christia Freeland? She's got to be the person to watch. All the pressure's on her. All the focus is on her. And she's got to deliver or people will pick her apart in the way that we've already started to do today. So she's the politician of the year to come. Interesting. Okay. I say Justin Trudeau. Oh, my God. I say Justin Trudeau because I'm interested to watch him now because I think that Shears stepping down started the clock ticking on everything in Canadian politics. And the timetable for everything just got moved up a little bit, and I'm very interested to see how he manages the government, very interested to see how he manages the Freeland situation, and I'm very interested to see how he manages a new Conservative leader. Because I, I think the world didn't just change for the Conservative Party, I think it changed for everybody last week. I want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. I want to thank everybody who made this event happen. The hurly-burly will be back a week from now talking to Hamish Marshall about the conservative campaign. Uh, and Hamish and I will be having a pretty in-depth conversation about what went on in that campaign, what their expectations were, and how things turned out differently. 
than they expected. And lastly, I would like to thank TELUS, which is the presenting sponsor of the Hurley Burley. Thank you all for coming. Until next week. Fast, safe, and reliable, Interact eTransfer is one of the best ways to send, request, and receive In fact, Canadians use the service to complete 371 million transactions in 2018 alone. That's nearly 11 times the population of Canada. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.